Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Dr. Reed serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary. He is passionate about preaching God's Word and training a new generation of biblical preachers. The sermon you are about to hear today was given in a chapel service at Heritage College and Seminary. You know, between my third and fourth year in college, I spent a summer as a summer missionary in Japan teaching English. And uh, I lived with a couple Japanese men, businessmen, single guys, in a high-rise there in the outskirts of Tokyo, in a high-rise that they call it a danchi. So I lived way up high. I was like the only white guy that you saw anywhere in our little village. And so every day I would take uh, the train into the church where I would teach ESL classes, English as a second language classes. And sometimes, since I was by myself much of the week, I would, uh, for lunch, just go to a little corner market and I would buy some fruit. And uh, I remember going in and seeing this huge, big, ripe, juicy peach. And so I thought, well, you know, that that would hold me for a while. So I I picked up the peach, and I went up to the little proprietor, the little guy, these little tiny stores that they have there, and I asked him in Japanese how much it cost. I only knew a few phrases in Japanese, and one of the ones I knew was, how much does this cost? So I went up to him, and I said my little phrase, ikura desu ka? Ikura desu ka? How much does this cost? And then the shop owner would tell me how much it costs. I would pull out the, the right amount of yen, pay for it, and I'd have my peach. But I want you to imagine that I walk into that little corner market, and I see the peach, and I take it up to the guy, and I say, Ikura desu ka? And let's say that this Japanese man knew a fair bit of English, so he turns back and starts talking to me in English. But he doesn't tell me how much the peach costs. He just starts talking about the benefits of eating peaches. He talks about how good peaches are, how juicy they are, how ripe they are, how they've been imported here for Japan. And he's going on and on about peaches, and he never tells me how much they cost. Something would be wrong with that. Like, that's not right. Now, I tell you that because it actually parallels something that happens on our side of the world, close to where we live. It happens not in corner stores, it happens a lot in corner churches. Somebody walks into a church because they're spiritually hungry. They're looking for spiritual food for their souls and somehow God has been working in their heart and they're drawn towards Jesus. So they come into the church, not knowing a lot, but they know they're open to following Jesus, but they have a question. What will this cost me if I follow Christ? Essentially, they're going to ask in their own way, how much does this cost? But what often happens in our churches is that when somebody voices that kind of question, how much does it cost to follow Christ, we don't give them a straight-up answer. Maybe we just go on and on about the benefits of following Jesus, how it is good, how he is good, how it brings health to your soul, and we talk about all those things, but we never actually tell them what it costs. And something's wrong with that. That's not right. Today in chapel, we're starting a new series that I hope, by God's grace, will carry us much way through the fall. And the series is going to be on what does it cost to follow Jesus and what are the rewards of following Jesus, the cost and rewards. We're going to consider the cost and we're going to rejoice in the rewards. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a number of passages this fall, one each Tuesday, that itemize the cost in following Jesus, but also italicize the rewards. They highlight the rewards. And here's my hope. Here's what I'm praying for. Here's what I'm asking God to do in your heart and mine. I'm asking that this series would be used by God as part of his larger work to deepen your devotion to Jesus. Deepen your devotion to being a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus. That you would follow Jesus with your eyes wide open because you know the cost, but with your heart wide open because you know the rewards. And we're going to launch this by looking at a passage where Jesus gives the call, the cost, and the rewards of discipleship. It's a familiar passage, but I want you to hear it in new ways. And to do that, I'm going to invite you to take a Bible, either in print or on tablet, and join me in the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Today we'll be in Matthew, chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. And I want to talk to you about the call, the cost, and the rewards of discipleship, of following Jesus. Matthew 11, verses 20 to 30. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll begin. Father, on this morning, we have your word in front of us. We have your spirit here with us and even in us, all of us who know Christ. And so we ask now that you would allow the word, which is sharp and powerful, that cuts deeper than any double-edged sword, we'd ask that it would surgically slice us, not to harm, but to heal, to cut out things that are wrong and to carve off things that are, that are toxic. And Lord, we ask that today you would use your word as part of your greater sanctifying work in all of our hearts. Let my words be closely tied to your word. Let your word come clearly and powerfully and, and, and personally to us. And I'm asking all of this in the name of Jesus by the power of your spirit. Amen. Let me pick up reading. I'm going to be in Matthew 11, starting with verse 20. Then he, speaking of Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And this is what Jesus says, verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to be, me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
There in verse 28, Jesus gives a call, an invitation. And it's an invitation that's a welcome invitation. It's a warm invitation. He says uh, in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus gives this call, and as soon as he says it, some of you go, that's a call I need. I hear that. Because in this passage, we find something that's true, not just here, but it's true for all time. It's true for them. It's true for you. I'd put it this way. Jesus is telling us in verse 28, it, this, is that Jesus calls you to come to him with your burdens. That's what verse 28 is showing us. Jesus calls you. He calls, he calls everyone who hears. Hey, listen, are you, are you weary? Are you weighed down? Come to me. Jesus calls you to come to him with your burdens. Jesus calls you to come to him with your burdens. And some of you hear that today as welcome news because you walked into this room with some burdens. And you say, Jesus, I'm thankful for that. I, I want to hear that. Jesus calls you to come to him with your burdens. Some of you come here today and you carry the burdens of life. In fact, I would say that all of us walk in here today carrying some of the burdens of life. You've got burdens on your heart. I've got burdens. Some of you have burdens as a student. You're now, what, three or four weeks into this thing. You've, uh, you've had syllabus shock. You've seen all the papers, all the projects, all the quizzes, all the tests that are coming down your way, and you're feeling burdened by it. You're wondering, how am I going to get all this done? And you come in here feeling a bit burdened today. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened. Maybe your burdens, the burdens of life, are not just because you're a student. It's just because you're a person. Like, we all carry burdens, and COVID has only made them harder. Some of you come in here today, and though I don't know your specific situation, God does, and he knows you're burdened. You're burdened in a variety of ways. You have the burdens of life on you. Maybe some of you are burdened in the area of health. You're concerned for your father, your mother, your grandma, your grandpa. You carry some of those burdens. Some of you might be burdened in the area of finances. You know this is costly to come to a school like this. You know that perhaps someone in your family's lost a job due to what's going on in our culture right now, and you carry a burden for that. Some of you come in carrying relational burdens, right? You've got a rift going with somebody you used to be close with, and it weighs on you. You wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about it. And Jesus stands up and he says, come to me, all of you who are burdened. You know, as you sit there today, you know what burdens you carry. You know what your roommates carry. You know what other people carry. Here's what I want you to do. Jesus has come to you with your burdens. He said, Psalms says, Psalm 55, 22, cast your burdens on the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him. He cares for you. Jesus is saying, come to me. Why don't you just right where you are, take a moment and silently just talk to God about a burden that you carry or someone you love carry. Just right now, just say, Lord, here's a burden. I want to come to you with this burden. It's mine. It's my friends. It's my family's. Tell them about a burden you have. Jesus says it. Come to me. Bring me your burdens. Do that right where you are. Father, you hear our prayers silently voiced but heard to you. You know the burdens we carry, all of us, the burdens of life. Thank you that you invite us to bring them to you. And we do that even now, even here. We do that because Jesus invites us to and we come in his name. Amen.
See, Jesus calls you to bring your burdens to him, and some of you have the burdens of life. But I think there's actually another burden that's highlighted in our text. I think the focus of our text is not just the burdens of life. I think you would say it's the burdens of sin. Jesus is saying, you got some of the burdens of sin? Bring those to me. You say, why do you think he's talking about the burdens of sin? Well, look at the context. I read verses 20 to 30 for you. Back in verse 20, it says Jesus starts to denounce the cities where he had done his miracles because, verse 20 says, they did not repent. And then he calls out cities like Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Those were all cities on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus did a lot of miracles in those cities, and evidently a lot of people saw the miracles, but they did not come to him. They did not repent. They didn't see their own spiritual need. They didn't confess their sin. There's a chilling verse, verse 24. Jesus says, it's going to be better for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Like Sodom, like we think of Sodom, like that's a bad place. Jesus says, Capernaum, you think you're all hot and mighty? It's going to be better for Sodom. You won't repent of your sin. You've got this burden of sin, but you won't come to me. But then Jesus says, starting in verse 25, he says, Father, I thank you that though many people won't come, there were some who came. Did you see that in verse 25? Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is saying this, I'm going around these cities, I'm doing these miracles, most people don't come to me. They won't repent, but there were some, Father. They weren't the high and mighty ones usually. They were like the children, but they came. They turned. They knew they had a spiritual need, and they came to me. And then Jesus goes on and gives the wide call, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden. In other words, listen, if you're out there and you know you carry a burden of sin, I get the fact that many people won't acknowledge that, but if you know you have a burden of sin and you're weary and you're weighed way down, come to me, bring it. Be like the little children that came, not those wise and learned that wouldn't come. Come to me, bring me your burden of sin, repent. One of the uh, classics of Christian literature is John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. And if you, if you know the book or if you've read part of it, you know it's the story of a man named Christian. And Christian reads from the book of God, he reads the Bible, and he realizes he's got sin in his life. He describes it as having a, a big pack on his back. It's like he's got this pack weighing him down, this burden of sin. And nobody around him seems to care about it or think it's a big deal, but Christian does. So he heads out of the city of destruction, and he heads towards trying to find help. And he's carrying this burden of sin until one day he comes to the place of deliverance, it's called. He comes to a hill, and on the hill there's a cross. And as he comes to the cross, the straps break on the burden, and it falls off his back, and it rolls, it tumbles down the hill, and it goes into the open mouth of an empty grave. And Christian is free. The burden is gone, the burden of sin. Listen, some of you walked into this room today, some of you who are listening to this, you know what Christian was feeling. You carry a burden of sin as well. 
You may have walked in here feeling weighed down by your own sin. You know, you think God is holy and I am not. And sometimes it weighs you down. And Jesus says to you, come to me. Come to me. I'll take that off you. Bring it here. Lay it down. It's only at the cross, my friends, that that burden ever goes away. But it will go away when you come to Jesus. Can I just say, if you're listening to this today and you know there's an issue that's weighing you down and you know it's a sin issue in your life, listen, listen, don't stay away. Do what Christian did. Go to the cross. Go back to the cross. For some of you, it could be your first time. That's what we call conversion or repentance. When you first come to Jesus and say, I need forgiveness. But for some of you, it could be your millionth time where you come back to him and say, Lord, I did it again. And you bring him that burden, and Jesus says, come to me. And look what he promises you. Look at verse 28. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. I'll give you relief. I'll take that burden off. So I want to say to you today, even while you sit quietly here, if you're here carrying a burden of sin, don't carry it any longer. Do what Jesus says. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Jesus calls you to come to him with your burdens. That's the first thing. But it's not the only thing Jesus has to say. Because once you do that, when you bring your burdens to him, burdens of life, burdens of sin, you lay them down, Jesus is now going to tell you to pick something up. You're laying something down. Now he's going to tell you to pick something up. Look at verse 29. I'll show you a second thing that comes out of our passage. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, the first thing we saw is that Jesus calls you to come to him with your burdens. Now, here's the second thing that comes out of verse 29. Jesus tells you, to learn from him as his disciple. That's what he's going to tell you. He says, look, you've come to me with your burdens. Now learn from me as one of my disciples. Jesus tells you to learn from him as his disciple. Verse 28, he says, come to me. Verse 29, he says, learn from me. So you come to him with your burdens. Now you learn from him as a disciple. You may already know this, but it's interesting. When Jesus says, learn from me, look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The, the Greek word translated learn is related to the Greek word for disciple. Like a disciple is a learner, and a learner is a disciple. That's pretty fitting for a group of students. You're learners. Well, Jesus would say that anyone who follows me is a learner and they're a disciple. So Jesus calls you to learn from him as his disciple. And to help you get what that looks like, he gives you a word picture, an illustration. And the illustration of what it means to be a disciple or a learner is that of taking on a yoke. Do you see that in verse 29? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, yokes. Unless you, I, I was talking to somebody, guys here from, uh, guys are from Stratford, right? So you drive through a bit of Amish country on your way here, and if you've driven through Mennonite country, Amish country, you've probably seen yokes because they still actually use them. A wooden cross beam that goes across two animals, two oxen, two horses, and allows them to pull a plow to take care of a field. That's what a yoke was. And if you read the Bible, you'll read about those kind of yokes. Elisha was, remember when he, he had the uh, oxen, he was working with yokes, and Elijah calls him, and he, and, uh, he uh, takes the yoke, 
chops it up, kills the oxen, and has a sacrifice, and kind of burns his bridges, and he's following. That was a yoke. But here's the deal. When you read through Scripture, most often when the Bible talks about yokes, it uses it in a figurative or a metaphorical sense. It's not talking about a literal wood beam. It's talking about something like that. Let me give you some examples. The Bible talks about the yoke of the Egyptians. Just think about all these, the yoke of the Egyptians. The Bible talks about the yoke of the Assyrians. The, the Bible talks about the yoke of the Babylonians. The Bible talks about the yoke of slavery. It even talks about the yoke of Solomon. Solomon placed these heavy demands on people, and they said it feels like a yoke. So what's a yoke? Well, when Jesus talks about a yoke here, he's talking about something that means this. When you put on a yoke, you come under somebody else's authority. You come under somebody else's control. Like you're not calling the shots anymore for your life. Someone else is like the Egyptians were, or the Assyrians were, or the Babylonians were, or Solomon was. You're not driving your own life anymore. Someone else is. So when Jesus says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you, hey, here, brothers and sisters, hear this. He's telling you the cost of discipleship. Here's the cost of discipleship. You give up your independence. You give up your freedom and you come under Jesus' control. You come under Jesus' authority. That's what it means to take his yoke on you. It means that no longer are you driving your own life. He is. No longer are you calling the shots for your own life. He is. That's what it means to take on his yoke. Now, it's interesting when he talks about that, he says, you've got to take on this yoke and learn from me. See that again in verse 29? Take on my yoke, my authority, and learn from me. Learn from me. Now, when Jesus says learn from me, he doesn't just mean learn to know my teaching. He means learn to live my teaching, right? Know that and live it. When he says learn from me, he's not just saying get smarter, like get an A on the test about my teaching. He's saying, let this be the way you live. Come under my authority and live by my teaching. Maybe you've seen the little uh, clip where Francis Chan illustrates this pretty well. He talks about how when Jesus calls us to follow him, to learn from him, he doesn't just want us to know what he says. He wants us to do what we know what he says. And if you've seen this little clip, it's just a minute or two long. Francis Chan says, for example, he gets all excited about this. He goes, for example, if I tell my daughter, go clean your room, he goes, she knows enough to know that she can't just come back to me and say, hey, dad, dad, dad. Good news, good news. I memorized what you said. Like I can quote it, go clean your room. Aren't you proud of me? He goes, my daughter knows that that's not what I'm really looking for. He goes, in fact, she even knows that I'm not just looking for her to say, hey, dad, get this. I can even say what your command, go clean your room. I can even say that in Greek. He says, no, my daughter knows that that's not going to really kind of light me up either. In fact, she knows enough to know that I'm not just looking for her to say, hey, Dad, listen to this. I've got a group of my friends, and we're meeting every week in a study, and we're going to study what you meant by those words, go clean your room. He says, my daughter knows enough to know that what I meant was actually go do it. Clean your room. So when Jesus says, take my yoke, come under my authority, learn from me, he's saying, I want you to know what I teach, but I want you to live by what I teach. Now, brothers and sisters, that, bottom line, 
is the cost of discipleship. Jesus is putting it right out there. He's not hiding it. We say, Jesus, what's it cost to follow you? And he says, here's what it is. You have to take my yoke on you and you learn from me. You learn to know and live by my teaching. Now, here's why that's costly. If you do that, if you do that, that will put you at odds with the world around you. That will put you at odds with even some of your own desires. If you're going to actually do this, if you're going to take on Jesus' authority, he calls the shots, and you're going to learn to know and live by what is teaching, that will make you swim upstream against the, the current of your culture. You will be going the wrong way from your culture. In fact, get this, you will have to fight against the undertow of your own fleshly desires. There will be part of you that doesn't want to do this. That's the cost of being a disciple. See, the world tells you, the world tells you, listen, 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 you're your own person. Chart your own path. Find your own roads. Live your own truth. And Jesus says, no, actually, it's the opposite. Follow my path. Live by my truth. And there's a cost to that. The world tells you, the world comes to you and says, listen, listen, you need to, you need to, you need to go after all the good things you can in life. You need to stockpile treasures. You need to get a job that will get you rich so you can retire early, so you can have life like you want it. And Jesus comes to you and says, no, actually, it's not that. Actually, you need to live for what's coming in heaven. You need to lay up treasures in heaven. You need to take the things I give you and actually share them with those in need. It's not just about you. And there's a cost to that. The world tells you, listen, you should puff your own brand. You should try to become somebody who's known. You should become notable. You should try to get a position of prominence and power. And Jesus comes to you and says, no, actually, it's the opposite of that. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. And you are spend your life giving yourself away on behalf of others. And there's a cost to doing that. The world tells you to express your sexuality in any way you choose. And Jesus says, no, actually, you bring your sexuality like you bring everything else under my yoke, under my authority. And you learn to live the way I say is healthy and right and pure and true. In fact, you live in such a way that you don't even look on another person to lust after them. And if you choose to go that way, there's going to be a cost to that. The world tells you if somebody hurts you, you cut them off and you find a way to pay them back. And Jesus comes to you and says, no, actually, it's the opposite. You do what I did for you. You forgive. You graciously forgive them. And there's a cost to that. You see, there is a cost to following Jesus, and the cost is you're coming under his yoke, and you're following his way. You're learning to know and live, and you hear this, and others hear this, and some people right now, if they could, would stand up and say to me, why would anybody sign up for this? Like, why would anyone going to do this? Who wants to give up your authority? Who wants to give up your freedom? Who wants to give up control over your own life? Why would anybody choose to take Jesus at his word and come to him and take on his yoke. And my answer is, he tells you why in verse 29 and verse 30. 
Look what he says. Why should you do this? Why should anyone do this? Look again at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, the first thing we saw, Jesus calls you to come to him with your burdens. The second thing we saw is that Jesus tells you to learn from him as his disciple. And you say, why should I do that? third thing Jesus says is this. Jesus promises you rest for your soul. That's why you do this. Do you want rest for your soul? Jesus says, here's how you get it. I know it's going to seem counterintuitive, but this is the way to rest for your soul. You do this because of who Jesus is. He's gentle and lowly of heart, verse 29. And you do this because of what Jesus gives. He promises you rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. The word rest there doesn't mean inactivity. It's the opposite of restless. You ever been restless in your soul? You just can't quite, you can't quite be still. You can't quite come to peace. Jesus says, listen, I'll give you rest for your soul. One commentator calls it, he said a good translation of this would be relief. I will give you relief for your soul. I'll give you peace on the inside. And that, my brothers and sisters, is priceless. See, here's the paradox of discipleship. Here's the paradox of discipleship. The paradox is this. You give away your freedom to Jesus. You give away authority to Jesus. And he gives you the thing you want most in life which is peace in your soul. He says, I'll give that to you. But if you choose to say, no, 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 I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to chart my own road. I'm going to make life work for me. Jesus says, guess what? You're just going to end up burdened, heavy laden. The paradox of discipleship is you give it away, and Jesus gives you back far more than you give. See, many people don't get this. Many Christians don't get this. They think life is found as they go their own way, as they do what they think is right, as they chart their own path, and they just end up burdened. I remember watching a movie some years ago that just had a scene that was potent. I still remember it. That kind of makes the point is that when you and I try to chart our own life, when we try to go our own way, we just end up burdened. We end up weary. We end up heavy laden. The movie was called The Help. And it was a movie that was based on a book, and it's set in the southern United States, Jackson, Mississippi, in the early 1960s, when segregation was still a big deal, when many black women served as domestic help for white, well-heeled families. And one of the lead characters in the movie The Help is a woman, a young socialite woman named Hillary Hillbrook, Hilly. She keeps up a veneer of being a God-fearing Christian woman, kind of, you know, high society and all of those things. But underneath that thin religious veneer, there is a heart that is filled with selfishness. It's spoiled and it's racist. And at the end of the movie, she's exposed for who she really is. And she's angry. And she takes out her fury on a black woman who's part of the domestic help named Abilene. And because Abilene has, has written some things that have exp has exposed her and embarrassed her, she vows to get Abilene back. And so she gets Abilene fired by making some false charges against her. And there's this scene in the movie right at the end where Abilene, who's utterly helpless before this powerful lady, 
is standing there and Hillary's saying, I'm going to ruin you. And she gets her fired and Abilene has had enough and she steps up and gets close to Hillary and says these words. Let me read them for you. These, is what, these are the words she says. She says, all you do is scare and lie and try to get what you want. You're a godless woman. Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired? Isn't that interesting? Ain't you tired? Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired? Ain't you burdened down, Miss Hilly? You're a godless woman. You're keeping up this veneer. You're trying to do life. You're, aren't you tired of that? Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? See, the reality is, is when you and I try to make life work on our terms and we go our own path, we end up like Hilly Hillbrook. And ain't you tired? Jesus steps up and he says to us, ain't you tired? Ain't you tired of going your own way? Ain't you tired of trying to make life on your terms? Then come to me. Bring me your burdens and drop them, but take up my yoke and learn from me. And you will find rest for your soul. See, the powerful thing about discipleship is this. Jesus calls you to give up what our world says is most precious, and that is your independence and your autonomy. He calls you to give that up, come under his yoke. But Jesus promised you what the world cannot give you, and that is peace in your soul. A life of discipleship is not easy, but it will ease your mind and it will ease your heart. A life of discipleship has its burdens, but compared to the burdens of the world, as verse 30 says, Jesus' burdens are light. His yoke is easy. A life of discipleship has its costs, but the rewards far outweigh the costs. So when somebody comes, when you come, and you come to Jesus and say, Ikura deska, how much does this cost? What's this going to cost me to follow you? Jesus gives you a clear answer. It'll cost you everything you have. It will cost you your freedom. It will cost you your autonomy. It will cost you all that the world says is most precious. You have to give that to me. But I will give you something the world cannot give you. I'll give you peace for your soul. I'll give you relief. I'll give you salvation. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you those things that you want most. Life of discipleship is costly, but the rewards far outweigh the cost. Let's pray. If you're here today and you would have to say, like Hilly, you're tired. Ain't you tired? Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? And you're tired of trying to make life work on your terms, in your ways. You're tired of that. It just leaves you more burdened. Then will you hear the invitation of Jesus? Come to him. Bring him those burdens, even the sinful burdens that you've been carried. Bring them. He'll forgive them. You can drop them at the cross. And then tell him, Lord Jesus, as you help me, I'm going to take up your yoke. I'm going to need your help. You said you're gentle and lowly of heart, and I need you to help me. I need to be yoked to you. 
I take up your yoke, and I want to learn to walk your ways. As I study my courses here at Heritage, I want to learn your ways, not just to know about them, but to know how to live them. Because as you and I do that, those of us who are tired will find rest for our souls. So, Lord, hear our cries, hear our prayers as we hear the call of Christ. And as best we can, in our own faltering ways, we come. We bring you our burdens. We take up your yoke. Please give us your peace in the souls that we long to have peace in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.